Psalm 139, if you want to turn to it. I have the privilege of wearing a lot of hats today, uh, getting to cover a lot of ground, and uh, I always enjoy doing that. Um, So Psalm 39 is where we'll end up in a few minutes. Uh, It is Mother's Day, and uh, this is a day when we're able to um, hopefully say thank you as a part of a string of days of us expressing gratitude. Uh, but if, you know, you know what I mean? Like Mother's Day, we should, we should always be thanking our moms and being grateful to uh, the women around us who just bless us and keep us in so many ways. And so um, whether it's one day a year or it's every day of the year, uh, our, our hearts are very much um, thankful and uh, just grateful to, um, to be able to be blessed in those kinds of ways. Um, you know, when, when we were very young in our ministry and church plant days, we didn't have a lot of moms, and now we got a bunch of moms around here. And so uh, if you are a mom, how about you stand up for us real, real quick? We want to clap for you because you guys deserve way more than that, right? Awesome. Wonderful. All right. Moms, we're thankful for you and hope that... Today has been uh, full of gratitude and all that kind of stuff for you. Uh, we have some uh, little, little. Uh, I believe that these are called succulents. Is that right down here? These little plants. Uh, these are for you. This is for you to take. And so you can just, on your way out, just come and grab one and take that with you. Uh, and it's not just because we want you to have a plant. We want this plant to remind you of something. Uh, we started a tradition years ago of, of giving money to an organization Uh, In honor of our moms, Uh, we wanted to give to something that that is a reflection of the women of our church and and the heartbeat uh, that's there. And and whether it's moms or not moms or, you know, young and old, for all the women of our church encompassed together, uh, we believe that that this ministry looks like you. And uh, it's called Lulu's Place. And it is, um, so our partner ministry in, in India is with His Voice Global. And so they're, uh, they're a nonprofit based uh, here in the U.S., but works in different places abroad. And we partner with them in India, but then they also partner with other churches in other countries. And Lulu's Place is in uh, Kenya. And it is, uh, it's a, a place for women to be able to come in, and there's, uh, there's education, there's job training, there's recovery from all kinds of different things uh, that's there that's possible for them. Uh, it's a place for them to come and heal and grow and then be placed on a different trajectory for their lives. And it's, it's just it's amazing. It's amazing. And so we are giving money to that ministry in your honor because we think that looks like you. We think that looks like Jesus. We think that looks like the kingdom what's happening there at Lulu's Place. And so this little plant can be a reminder uh, of, of that ministry and um, all that kind of stuff, all that God is doing there. So be sure to come by and pick up one of those uh, succulents. And uh, I'm just very proud that I know that word. It's new. And, uh, so I want to take a second, though. I, wanna, I just want to pray for, uh, for you moms. I want to pray for all of the women in the room um, and pray for all of us in this moment. So let me just uh, let me just voice a prayer on your behalf. God, thank you so much for your many gifts to us. 
and I'm thankful for uh, the moms who are in the room, thankful for the moms who are not in the room. Uh, all of us are, are here uh, because of, of how you have used women in our lives to bless us, and we're so thankful for that. And so I pray for, for the moms that are here in this room. I hope that today was just full of encouragement and uh, gratitude, and I hope that they feel very appreciated and loved by their families. Um, and uh, just pray, God, that, that the deepest encouragement, though, would come from you in knowing that, uh, that they are stewarding well what you have entrusted to them. Uh, there's no greater affirmation in the world uh, and in our experience than you looking at us and uh, affirming us. And so I pray that that would be the case for them as well. Um, and however you choose to convey that to them, I uh, pray that they would be wide open to hearing your approval. Um, and Father, uh, you know, the... The reality is that Mother's Day can also be a difficult day, and, uh, and only you know the reasons that it would be difficult for different folks, and so I pray, God, for anyone who's struggling today, whether they're here or whether maybe they just didn't want to come today because it's a hard day for them, um, I pray that you would prove yourself to be especially near, that you would comfort them and encourage them and uh, be with them in their struggle, and uh, I'm so thankful, God, that the whole, the whole spectrum from the, from the best uh, situations in, in all the way to the, just some of the really difficult things regarding motherhood, that all of that is going to be redeemed one day. That there is coming a point where all that pain is going to be uh, absorbed completely and uh, our experience will be whole and full. And I'm thankful, God, for the ways we get to experience that now. And uh, just look forward to that day coming. But until then... We celebrate and we hold on to the hope that you have extended to us as our anchor. We love you very much and pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So we're going we're gonna to kind of hit pause on a sermon series uh, going through Mark. Uh, we're going to hit pause for a couple of weeks, actually. Um, and today, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to preach on motherhood. Uh, I... I just felt led to expand that into a more wide uh, kind of topic. Uh, I'm going to talk about biblical womanhood today. Uh, and, and let me just go ahead and get this out of the way. This is not, a, uh, this is not like a stance, you know, or like any sort of like big like thing that's going to really be any different than probably things that you hear from me all the time. And it's a regular part of our church culture. But, but there are times when things just, they need to be articulated. You know, that there needs to be... Um, there's some, some things that can't just be assumed. And right now in our world, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of debate, a lot of uh, concern about gender, and, you know, just, just all kind of stuff. The future, there's all kind of things that are going on. And, um, so this is not, uh, the, I'm not about to, like, put a flag in the ground that's going to, like, take a stance on any of those kind of controversial things. Uh, I, what I'd really like to do, honestly, is just look at what, is, what does the Bible really have to say? Um, Paul, in, in Romans 12, he talks about not conforming to the patterns of the world. And uh, that just means that like as we're, when we're born into, a, into a, a certain culture, we're growing up and we're being exposed to all these rules, basically. That this is just kind of how life works. That there are these patterns that we grow up learning. And the patterns you learn in South Louisiana are different than the patterns you learn in uh, 
Like in the northern part of our country, it's different than what you would learn in Venezuela. It's different than what you would learn in Belgium. You know, like those kind of things are different. But all of us grow up, and you start you start to learn this is kind of how the world works. And those patterns that are established for us, Paul says, hey, those that's not what you are to conform to. Jesus has freed you from those things, not to conform to those patterns, but you conform to the patterns of his kingdom and who he is. So regarding gender, especially, like specifically womanhood, there are all kinds of patterns in our world. Uh, and and it's really, you can't really summarize it in one, you know, like here are the three things about women that the pattern of the world is, because it's different all over the planet. Um, but we can look at these patterns, though, and, and you can generally say that for a long time, uh, it's been a hierarchy, and men are at the top of the hierarchy, and women are right below them, right? or maybe not right below them, maybe way below them. That there's been this general pattern of, uh, of angst that is there, of, of um, tension that has existed all the way back to Genesis 3. I mean, God's like, hey, this is going to happen, and it has happened. And so when you are a little girl and you're born into our world, it's very easy for you to learn things incorrectly and be taught things incorrectly. And, and you're being taught to conform to some of those incorrect patterns. And that's, that's led to a lot of problems. Now, in the United States, over the last 100 years or so, there has been this, like, uh, like a lot of transformation in regard to um, women's rights and that kind of stuff, and all these steps have been taken. And um, like most situations where, where one group is, is feeling uh, the, the weight of injustice, the overcorrection comes in. And so you kind of, we have like kind of an extreme like feminism swing uh, kind of pushing back against that, and then so you kind of end up with this really wide spectrum, and then it leads to lots of people pushing back against that, and it's like this ping pong back and forth, and um, they're just they're, it's just kind of a time in history where where being a woman is uh, like in terms of patterns of the world, there are a lot of them that you can conform to, and they aren't always right. So then you look at the church; the church has probably not done a good job of conf- of conforming to kingdom patterns. The church has kind of conformed to uh, patterns of the world in regard to, to, to gender as well. And again, it's hard to like, summarize the whole church in a few sentences, but I, I think we would all agree that that's kind of been the case as well. And so you also have overcorrection in the church to where you have um, like a lot of pushback against like male leadership and that kind of stuff. And there's like, so, so, so you have patterns of the, of the world, you have patterns of the church, and in both cases, we have extreme views and a lot of confusion, you know, and a lot of arguments and a lot of, like, whatevers. So then Mother's Day rolls around, and we're all like, Mom's the best, you know? And so in praying about it, I was like, what if, what if this is just a perfect day to say, okay, let's put the patterns of the world aside, let's put any patterns of the church aside. What does the Bible say about womanhood? Because it can't be defined, like Joan of Arc can't define it, Jane Austen can't define it, Oprah can't define it, Beyonce definitely can't define it, you know. Like we, we need some, we need to know what, like what's right, you know. What's the correct way to think about womanhood? And in the church we have, we have some probably pretty good examples, but you know like Beth Moore is awesome, but she would probably be the first one to say, don't you dare let me be the one to define womanhood for the church. 
And so it can't be her, and it can't be Jen Hatmaker, and it can't be uh, Rachel Held Evans, and it can't be all these people either. It, it has to come back to you, what does the Bible say about women? Like that's the, that's, this is, it's our compass. This is true north. That's why we have it. Now, you're talking about a, like, I mean, months and months of sermon series here, and I'm going to try to just do a flyby real quick in about 20 minutes. So, uh, in order to do that, I've just kind of narrowed it down to three, three big ideas, three of many ideas, okay? But three for us today that, that I think it's important for us to grab onto. So, women, I hope that this is encouraging to you. Men, I hope that this is encouraging to you. And I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, if, if some of our younger like women here, some of our teenagers and down, if they can walk out of here um, less confused, then I think it's a win. And then all of us who are into adulthood and we kind of think we have all this gender stuff figured out, if we can walk out of here encouraged with a better idea of what the Bible says, uh, then that's a win also. So here, there will be three statements if you were a note taker. Uh, what does the Bible tell us about women? All right, the first one, well, I'll give you all three so you can know where we're headed. Being a woman is important. Being a woman is an honor. Being a woman is a calling. It's important, it's an honor, and it's a calling. Um, okay, so the first one, being a woman is important. Why do, what makes me say that? Well, uh, there's going to be a lot of Bible verses going up there, but you don't have to turn to all of them. Just stay in Psalm 139. It's probably the best. Being a woman is important. Why? Well, it's important from, from, in one perspective to the, to the created order. When you read in, in Genesis, in the beginning of everything, um, as God creates, He takes things that are unordered and structures them. And with, with each... Uh, day or however you want to think about that each stage of creation order uh, it goes one one step further into things being ordered so you could really say that that in creation he takes something that is is chaos and and unorganized and gives it structure to make it organized and within that created order being male being female is important it's not just a, a detail it's not just like a you know, a thing that happened, it's important. So in Genesis 1, 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, over the, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. So in his structuring of chaos, in creating humans in his image, it's like there's going to be two genders. There's going to be male, there's going to be female. That that makes gender an important thing. It makes being a woman an important thing. Because it's a part of how God has ordered creation. Then he said, uh, verse 28, he blessed them. So be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Um, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. 
And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything he'd made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. So, male and female, both bearing the image of God, both given dominion over creation, both entrusted with the task of of multiplication and filling the earth, and both are charged with creation care. That there is this bothness here. That God says, okay, I'm going to create in my image in order to, to give structure to things, and there's an important part of bearing the image of God that's going to be given to men, an important part of bearing the image of God that's going to be giving, given to women. That they are different. They are not, uh, one is not better than, one is not less than. In Genesis 2, 18, it says, uh, It's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. Now sometimes it's easy for men and women both, to, to read that and to be like, okay, so uh, he made Adam and he's like, uh, I tell you what, we probably need, he's going to need someone, like, they got to have some babies. <laughs> they got to have someone to kind of like do some of the other things. So let's, almost like, almost like Eve was an afterthought. Almost like women were an afterthought. Like it was like, we're going to make the men, we're going to make, they're going to be the most important ones, and then we're going to bring these wingmen in. You know? Every maverick needs a goose, right? So we're going we're gonna to bring, we're going to bring women in later, you know? As if that creates some sort of tiered importance. But that's not really what it says here. It says that Adam, like, he couldn't get it done. Like he couldn't take care of creation alone, and so God made a helper for him. And helper, that word means strong rescuer. Now that's not to say that like Adam was pathetic, and so he needed like this great like feminist giant to come in either. It's saying no, they needed each other. That there's like this bothness that happens. That in order to bear the image of God, it took both of them. Eve, like women are not an afterthought. There isn't a second classness that come, that comes there or a, a lower in importance kind of thing. It's this it's this really amazing dance that happens between men and women, like this this global partnership for all of us to take care of creation, to be fruitful, to be multi, to be fruitful, to multiply, to to take care of all that God has entrusted to us. Now that was a long time ago, and here we are today. But yet the same things are happening. That it is important for you to be a woman. That if you are female and you are in this room, that it is an important thing for you. Because that is a part, like you are a part of how God has ordered our creation. Like you are a part of how he has ordered our city. You are a part of how he has ordered our church. You are a part of how he has ordered our friend groups and our community groups and your family and all those kind of things. You being a female, is like that is a strategic move on the part of God, our creator. Probably why God looked at that and said, you know, this, this isn't just good, this is very good. And so I don't know if you look at the fact that you are a female and say, it is very good that I'm a female, but God looks at you and says, it's very good that you're a woman. Important to the created order, it's also important to the church. 
Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 is writing about spiritual gifts. This is verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone, not just the dudes. Verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What that means is that each person who is in Christ, like the the Spirit of God manifests, like shows up in a unique way in your life. And so there are very natural ways that the character of God surfaces. We've labeled those as spiritual gifts. And so everyone, men and women, these gifts are manifesting in our, like in our lives and in our church. And so we need... Like, as a church family, like, we need the men. We need the, every man, like, your manifestation of the Spirit, we need that to be very clear. We need that to be encouraged and fostered and grown and matured. We need that to not be restricted. And women, same speech. We need your gifts, the way that the Spirit manifests in your life, to be seen and evident and nurtured and encouraged and we need those gifts to fit together and complement one another in the life in like in the lifeblood of our church. And so our church has to be a place. It has to be a place where uh, you get to be you. It's a very important thing. Paul goes on to encourage uh, gender distinction in worship because the differences between us are intentional. And we need women to play a specific role that is known to everyone and isn't veiled. So sometimes, you know, and so in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is talking about, uh, he's talking about prayer and prophecy and, and whether or not women should have like their head covered or uncovered, you know. And feminists like to target that and be like, oh, that's oppression, that's oppression. And I, I, I get that, but that's not really what he's saying. Paul is, is essentially saying, when you start to study some of the cultural things, that, that there are women who, once they found out, when they, when they were started to realize that they're free in Christ, they began to, to break free from some of the conformities of, of life at, at that time, and, and they began to change their hair and, and like uncover their heads, and they were kind of like going through that thing that a lot of us go through, where once you realize like he's freed you from stuff, you kind of like go to the other extreme for a little bit. And that was happening in the church, but, but what was starting to happen is uh, you, it was hard to distinguish between a woman using her gifts and a man using his gifts. And so Paul was like, okay, this is not, this is not good because you need, to, you need to be able to know because the manifestation of the Spirit shows up differently in a man than in a woman. And so it's very important when someone is using their gifts that you're like, that's a woman using her gifts versus that's a man using her gifts like, because you receive those things differently. So what Paul is doing, and they're like, hey, it's just getting kind of confusing. He's like, okay, here's what's going to happen. Women, like, you're, like the, the head covering that is like a part of like looking like a woman in your culture, you need to maintain that when you're in worship. Because the men and all the women, like everyone else in the room needs to be blessed by a female manifestation of the Spirit. It just needs to happen. So instead of everyone, instead of gender being blurred, no, let's make it distinct because that's an important part. Of being blessed and kept by each other. Like it's really, really important. Because it's how God has ordered the world. 
So even though you're free, and even though you're head covered or uncovered, it doesn't really matter. Cover your head so that everyone knows this is a woman that is, that is doing this, that is praying this, that is prophesying in this way, so that they can be blessed in those kinds of ways. So Paul is actually very, he's encouraging women using their gifts. Jesus and Paul and the apostles were all incredibly encouraging to women. And there, were, there are things that we just wouldn't know because we didn't live back then. Um, they were always encouraging women to study and to learn when the culture at the time, was that was not the case. So last week, Adam spoke. Thank you, sir. Uh, and he talked about distraction. And he used Mary and, and Martha. And the story is, Jesus goes to their house. And uh, Martha is like cleaning up and doing all the hospitality stuff. And Mary's just like sitting at his feet, learning. Now we read that and we're like, well, you know, Mary should have been helping. Or, or actually, Martha was probably too stressed out. And we look at we read that as Americans. And we learn a lot from it as Americans. So it's no, nothing against learning from that perspective. But one thing that's very different that we would not know is that um, Mary should not have been in that part of the house. At that time, women gathered in a different part of the house. And so this would have been like all the men would have been there. So she was kind of breaking a cultural boundary there. And she's sitting at his feet. And so Jesus says, no, 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 she's chosen the good portion. She needs to be here. Jesus, pro-women pro learning. Like that's like, this, like we would not see it that way, but when, when you read the text in that light, you're like, oh, okay, so he, he was always like, no, no, the, let, the, let the children come to me. The, the women, they were a part of his following. That would have never happened with another rabbi. So he's constantly encouraging them uh, and, and uh, to be able to learn. In 2 Timothy it, it, 2, there's, there's passages, and Paul says, no, no, like let the women learn. You can't keep them from learning. You have to let them learn. They, they must learn. It's important that they learn. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul said, talks about the women being silent. They should be silent in the church. If they want to learn, they can ask their husbands later on. What's going on there is that in that part of the, uh, that part of the world, there would, uh, men and women would be sitting on different sides of a gathering. And the teaching would be happening in a language that the men would know because men were allowed to be educated. Women were not allowed to be educated. And so the teaching is happening, is going on on one half of the room, and the other half of the room has no idea what's happening. If you've ever been on a Mexico mission trip and we go to church with them, right, and you're, you're sitting there and like you're hanging in there for the first half hour, you know, and then it gets, gets to be a struggle because you're like, I don't know what's going on, and... So imagine that that's happening. If you, have, if you have a whole group of people who don't know what's going on, eventually they're going to start to talk, right? They're going to whisper, and the whisper becomes a murmur, and it kind of gets there. So apparently something that was very common was the teacher would have to ask that part of the room to be quiet. And because women were not allowed to be educated, it happened to be all the women. And so for Paul to say the women need to be silent, he said, hey, you need to not be distracting to the room. And if you, want, if you want to know what's being taught, when you get home, sit your husband down and say, I need you to translate everything that happened because I don't know that language. That's what those things mean. They're not, they're not oppressing women and say, you've got to be quiet and if you want to learn, you can, like, you can learn at home later on. It's like, no, that's like this logistical playing out of things. And Paul is giving, he's like, no, you need to encourage this to happen. So let them be silent so that the men can pay attention so that when they get home later on, like you need to encourage the women to ask and encourage the husbands to teach. 
but not because they're better than. They're, you're working within these constructs, sort of women. They just weren't. In, they weren't allowed to be educated. So all these things within the church. I mean, I could keep going. Here's one more. Uh, who was entrusted with the message about the resurrection? It was the women. The most important message in the history of history. And who, who were the first ones to steward it? It was Jesus' female disciples. The Bible has some stuff in it that is mysterious. And there are some things in there that are, are they're cultural and all that kind of stuff. Like I, I get all that. I'm not trying to explain it all away. I'm just saying there is a lot of times more that's happening than we realize. But when you read throughout the New Testament, the kingdom of God is very, very pro-women. Now God could have, he could have accomplished this in a whole bunch of different ways, but male and female, that's his very good plan. You're a gift to the church, women, ladies. You're a gift to our church. And your gender is a part of your giftedness. And so it is important that you are female. Like that needs to be something that is uh, that you see as being significant. And no matter what the patterns of the world are that have taught you differently, no matter what the patterns of the church maybe that have taught you some weird things, it's God's word that sets that tone, that sets the standard for us. So that's the first one, being a woman is important. The other two will go faster. The second thing, being a woman is an honor. All right, so you're in Psalm 139. I want you to think about this passage. Ladies, I want you to think about this passage in light of being a woman. Starting in verse 13. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Okay, it's not, it's not chance. It's not uh, biology. You know, there's, it's not like, no. He knitted you together. Verse 14. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret... Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Okay, now that's talking about the womb. Now, because of technology and science and all that kind of stuff, we know a lot more about what's going on in there. But think about in their day. Think about how mysterious that was. And so, poetically, verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you. That when, when, when a baby is, is growing in the womb, it's mysterious to everyone else, but not mysterious to God. Verse 16, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. That he wrote the book of your life, and he wanted you to be a woman. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. 
just as much, like when you read that passage, and we, I think it's easy to, to gravitate toward personality and interests and abilities and physical appearance, those kind of things. But even down to gender, like there's, a, there's a blessed intentionality on God's part for you. And so ladies, perhaps thinking of your uh, gender in light of this, is in, maybe, maybe it's more important than it seems. Maybe getting to the point where you're thanking God for making you woman. There's a famous uh, Jewish prayer uh, where the men of the synagogue would thank God that they weren't born a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Maybe, maybe when Jesus comes in and sets the kingdom right side up, maybe that prayer is breathed new life to where the women in our church can say, God, I'm so thankful that you made me a woman. So it is an honor. Last point. Home stretch. Y'all are very still. Are you okay? Everyone's okay? All right. I don't have a lot of jokes. Last thing, women, being a woman is a calling. We run through a couple of passages, and these are kind of like the, the greatest hits of, uh, like if you ever did like a um, biblical womanhood Bible study as a teenager in a youth group or something, these are some of the passages that you would probably go to um, pretty quickly. But it's a, it's a calling. Like he not only, God not only like formed you intentionally and made you female, but he's drawn you into like this plan that he has for you. And so like Proverbs 31 is where, you know, we go there pretty fast a lot of times. Um, like verse like 25 and 26. Strength and dignity are her clothing. Now who, who, who wouldn't want that? You know? Like that's a part of your calling. Strength and dignity. Notice that it doesn't say like, okay, well, like all girls have to be super girly. But no, that's a that's that's expectation. Sometimes that's forced on to like to girls in America. It doesn't really get into that. It doesn't really get into um, any of those kinds of like descriptors that we tend to focus on. The Bible talks about character, and even when the Bible talks about. Uh, external things, it's driving back to character. So strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. You know what that means? It's like, oh, I just trust that God has everything taken, like he's completely in the future. That I'm not going to fret and worry and be anxious about what's ahead because I know who's in control of things. That There's a, there's a deep strength about uh, who God is making you. Verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. So we read verses like that, and ladies, like that's a part of your calling. It's not trying to force you into a mold. I'm not saying that, like, that all of the girls in the like, 
uh, education building over there, all these like young girls are like, well, how do we get them to all be just like this, you know, one like American, like cookie cutter thing? It's like, no, it's about the formation of hearts and minds. It's about letting, letting God do his thing with how he's made each of us to be. And so it's a calling, like it's, it's something that he's drawn you into. He's, he's like said, this is what I have for you. I have strength, I have dignity, I have uh, like not being afraid of the future, I have wisdom, I have kindness. Like these are things, you know why? Because guess what's being described there? God. It's a part of the image that you bear. It's just about it being refined. In 1 Peter 3, it says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now that's, you can take that to mean, like, to like, be like, okay, so women, you need to, like, don't you dare talk in the church business meeting, you know? You could take that to mean that, but that's not really what's going on here. He's saying, hey, you just, you need to understand that the patterns of the world is putting a lot of pressure Ladies, on what you look like. And it's so easy to conform to that. When that's like the most important thing in your life. That's where your, your security or insecurity just goes back and forth based on all this external stuff. Peter's saying, hey, that, you know, in our kingdom, that's not, that's not what's going on. That's not what's valuable to God. That's not, what's, that's not who you are. That's not who, whatever. That's what the pattern looks like outside of us. What does our pattern look like? Our pattern is focused on the heart. The imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. doesn't mean that you're a quiet person. It's a spirit that's steady. That's who God is making us. Titus chapter 2. Here's one people love. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. Not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, in that day, that would, that's, those were like specific things that were needing to happen. Our day is a different day. But what's, 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 the, what's the big idea here? Saying, hey, grown-ups, help the younger people figure out who they are. Like, just disciple them. Help draw out their giftings. And encourage them to be exactly who God made them to be. It's not saying older women, like there needs to be, you need to force every, every kid to look a certain way and be a certain kind of thing. It's like, no, no, who, who are we supposed to be? Younger women. It's about pursuing people who are down the road further than you. Say, hey, I... I would just I need I need your help in being drawn out. It's a part of the calling that we have for one another that we walk together through all of these seasons of life. Men, you know we're a part of that calling too. That we are we as like people who are in covenant together as a church family. Here are are these important women who are hopefully thankful 
that God made them women. And they have this calling, like they're here to bless and keep the church in very specific ways. And we as men, like we have to, we have to, we have to work to create or to help create this environment where that, all those things are happening very naturally. And so that has a lot to do with how we speak to them, how we speak to one another. It has a lot to do with, with what's important to us. Husbands, it has so much to do with, with the way that you lead your wife, that you, that you are, are helping these things happen, and she's helping those things happen with you, that, that you're helpmates to one another, that we're helpmates in community together, that, that, that we as men are just as invested in this happening as the women are. Our role is just different. That being a woman is really seen as important and an honor and a calling and that we as a church are showing each other and everyone else what the kingdom looks like in this regard. So let me close with this. The enemy wants to come at you. He wants to make you insecure. He wants to keep you from being everything God made you to be. And ladies, gender attack is in his arsenal. You know it is. He wants you to be insecure about it. He wants, he wants you to wish that you had been born a man. You know? He wants you to believe that you really can't contribute all that much, or you can't contribute as much as someone else, whether it's a man or another female. He wants you withdrawn. He wants to lie to you about all these kinds of things. And so I hope that a part of what you can take away is not my words, but it's coming from the inventor of womanhood. Like he, God invented it, so he gets to define it. So please let his words carry more weight than the patterns of the world or the incorrect patterns of the church or any author or any speaker or any other example that you want to hold up and say, this is what it means to be a woman. May those things carry less weight. May his words emerge to carry the most weight in our lives. Because we, we need you. Like we, we, Baton Rouge needs you. Our church needs your gifts. And the truth about womanhood is a part of what he has redeemed and is redeeming. And so I don't know, I, I have no idea. I, mean, I say this every week, but literally today I have no idea where this lands with you. You, know? you might be bored out of your mind. Uh, you might really struggle to, to believe some of the things that I've said, and I would love to talk more about that. But men and women both, we have to be true to ourselves. And God knows what he's doing. So when he made you, I mean, holistically, everything about you, he knew exactly what he was doing. He's not regretted it one second. And so when we take communion, in a second, we're, we're stepping to the table to receive the grace that Jesus has for us. Jesus is saying, hey, you, you need me, like... In order to be everything that, that I made you to be, you need what I have to offer you. You need the body and the blood that was shed for you. You need my grace in every moment. And so that's what is being offered to us. I know we have several who are with us tonight. Uh, and uh, I'm so glad that you're here as a guest. And uh, you can be a not guest if you want. You can just keep coming. That'd be totally cool. Uh, and the room is not normally this still. I don't know why that's weirded me out, but it's like, man, I dropped a pin and I heard it a minute ago. It was weird. 
But our, our communion table is wide open to you. If, you if, if you want what Jesus has to offer you, and you believe that he is the one holding this out to you, then we would invite you to jump in our line. Let me tell you how we do it. It's a little, maybe a little bit different. You're going to tear the bread off yourself, and you're going to dip it in the juice yourself. And you'll be told these words, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for you. And that is spoken over and over and over and over. And perhaps in regard to gender, in regard to personality, in regard to spiritual gifts, in regard to the church and what we're doing, maybe, maybe the needing of each other, the importance of God, like putting this body together, maybe that will be reinforced as we uh, close our service tonight with communion and response in different ways. So how about you stand up? I'm going to pray for us.